here's a news flash. There's hope for the future of Homeland Security. This episode is about the 2019 Center of Excellence Student Grand Challenge, and it was held at the DHS Centers of Excellence Summit, sponsored by the DHS Centers of Excellence Network. It was really sort of a hackathon to inspire innovation to advance Homeland Security technology and studies in young rising professionals in our nation's universities. It took place in July of 2019. It asked teams to solve a simple question. Uh, no, this was not a simple question. How can we protect ourselves from rogue drones? Or as you'll hear, how can we use drones to protect us? I was really fortunate to be a judge in this competition. It featured five teams from around the country, all working to solve this problem. And hey, they only got 36 hours. Let me repeat that, 36 hours to do this. I'll be speaking with the students and educators responsible for this inspiring competition. As a sometimes jaded and now recovering Homeland Security professional, not knowing what to expect when I walked into the door of that auditorium, I want you to know, I left inspired, hopeful, and thankful. Here's their story, and here's why I smile now when I think about the future of Homeland Security. This episode was recorded October 24th, 2019, and it features Beth Austin DeFerris, Stu McKenzie, Andrea Weitzel, Emily Belk, and Will Case. They're the voices of the many remarkable students and educators who made this happen. Enjoy. Welcome to Thinking Through Autonomy, a podcast to help you understand the promise and impact of autonomous land and air vehicles in our world. I'm Ken Dunlap, managing partner of Catalyst Go, taking you on this journey. Hear and read more at thinkingthroughautonomy.com. Now it's time to take your hands off the wheel, foot off the pedal, hand off that throttle, and let's go. We're here talking about the DHS Grand Challenge and DHS Centers of Excellence. And with us are Emily, Will, Beth, Stu, and Andrea. They represent universities and academic programs ranging from Boston to Charlotte to Hoboken to Northern Virginia and to Urbana-Champaign. I'd like to have everybody introduce themselves. Emily, you get to kick off the show today. Hi, I'm Emily. I am in Boston currently. I go to Northeastern University. I'm a second year computer engineering and computer science student, and I work with the Alert Center of Excellence. Will and Charlotte. Hi, everyone. My name is William Case. I grew up in Jamaica and Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Eventually moved to Charlotte, where I started at CPCC, majored in business administration, and I'm now at Johnson C. Smith University we're majoring in computer science and cybersecurity. Beth, you're calling in from Hoboken, New Jersey. Welcome. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Beth Austin DeFerris. I'm the Director of Education for the Maritime Security Center of Excellence. I've been in my capacity here at the center for roughly 10 years and with Stevens Institute of Technology, which is the lead university for the Maritime Security Center for 21 years. So pretty remarkable career here at Stevens. Stu, welcome from beautiful Northern Virginia. Thank you, Ken, and it is absolutely stunning today. Hi, guys. I'm Stu McKenzie. I'm Science Manager with the Criminal Investigations and Network Analysis Center, or CENA, uh, here at George Mason. Andrea, down south, at least I'm from Wisconsin, and that's what we called it, from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Welcome. 
Thank you. I'm um, Andrea Weitzel. I am a, the Senior Research Program Manager with the Critical Infrastructure Research Institute in University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I've been with Siri for about two years, and I've worked as a program manager at the university for over 13 years. Thanks, Andrea, and thanks, everyone. And again, welcome. Andrea, I want to kick it off with you. We keep talking about this thing called a center of excellence. Can you help us understand what is a center of excellence? The DHS Science and Technology University Centers of Excellence were created to develop customer-driven and innovative tools and technologies to solve real-world challenges and help train the next generation of Homeland Security experts. Which was really put dramatically on display at the Grand Challenge that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Absolutely. But what I'm wondering is, Beth, what what is it like to be a student at a center of excellence? Is it like a normal university experience? Is it university experience on steroids? What happens when a student walks up to you and says, you got the center of excellence, and I think I really want to be part of it? So what I can say to that is um, the centers of excellence offer a broad base of programming. So ranging anywhere from 10-week summer internship, uh, summer research internship programs to more comprehensive traditional fellowship and scholarship programs for undergraduate and graduate level students, and even including programming and short courses for Homeland Security professionals, people that are in the workforce currently. Because our, our educational programs are so varied across the COE network, I'd have to say there's no one-size-fits-all experience for students, but what I can say the common threads throughout all of our programs are that they are highly engaged. So when you said, is it a program on steroids? Absolutely. They are collaborative. Our whole goals are to function to expose students to uh, Homeland Security mission space. So for example, Just to uh, give you an idea of some of these common threads across these traditional programs, students that participate in our summer research programs and those that engage in our traditional fellowship and research assistantship programs are working shoulder to shoulder with renowned and leading research experts across a broad range of academic disciplines and um, research expertise. For example, in our case, maritime security applications. In other centers of excellence, it would be borders, trade, and immigration, or criminal network analysis in the case of Stu's Center of Excellence. And so the students that engage in our programs uh, interface routinely with our homeland security partners in the field. We engage in field-based activities where they go behind the scenes and observe operational environments and, and really learn firsthand the roles and responsibilities of Uh, professionals in the field. They're given access to state-of-the-science equipment and technologies. And quite honestly, the projects that they work on are the types of Homeland Security concerns that you read about in the newspaper, like critical infrastructure protection or cybersecurity threats. So it's highly relevant, very engaged. And so I would have to say, in summary, that would be you know, a traditional COE student experience. What I really want to know, though, Beth, is when you go to a COE, 
Are the students committing to a career in what we call Homeland Security or do maybe some of them say, well, hey, this was great, but I'm taking the MCATs and I'm going to medical school or I'm taking the LSATs and I'm off to law school. What's that relationship between what they experience in the COE and what they wind up doing in their professional career? You know, I'd have to say for the students that get involved with us on a fellowship level, these are the students that have a commitment to service. So they do, they are Homeland Security career focused, and they have a service component that's tied to their program. For students that enroll uh, in our summer research programs, that's a little more broad. So this is an opportunity for us to bring in students from across a number of disciplines and expose them to Homeland Security. Our goal here is to inspire those students through these field visits, through these projects, to consider applying their academic discipline and their skills towards a career or advanced academic study in Homeland Security. For summer research students, there is no obligation, but my experience in running these programs are that these experiences are quite persuasive. And where a student might come into the program not knowing really what they want to do, just the exposure to know that there are other career paths has been quite extraordinary. And we have had students, we have, you know, a significant number of students based on their research experiences with us, continuing to pursue advanced academic study and and take advantage of those uh, career paths in Homeland Security. So we, we have great success in placement. That's really, that's great. And that's really inspiring. I, Stu, you come from George Mason and you have a unique COE over there. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at George Mason and what the Cena Center looks like? Well, sure. Cena's run out of uh, George Mason, but it's actually a, a consortium of, of research universities like all of the COEs. And so our, our focus is criminal investigations and network analysis, as you said. And we're really designed to support federal investigators in law enforcement. So the, the work that we do on the research side and, and also in the sort of workforce development side tends to fall into some you know signature buckets. We've got network analysis, mapping crime trends. We do forensics, whether it's traditional or digital, um, and criminal investigative processes. So, we're, I mean, we're basically here to produce new tools and occasionally insights to help our uh, federal colleagues catch bad guys. Some of the highlights in our research right now are uh, very strong teams working on um, uh, video analytics and also um, uh, voice analysis. So that's that's a flavor of the research side. Do you find a relationship between the students at your COE and a certain career path? Certainly, you've got that criminal side. Does that mean I'm going to see people from your program go to the FBI, go to one of the intelligence agencies, maybe go over to the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Mm -hmm, sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's exactly what it means. And we, we obviously don't and shouldn't control the the exact opportunities that come up in the federal government and the choices our students make. But, you know, a lot of our students are drawn from either a criminology side of things, including, you know, strong folks in public policy who work on human trafficking or um, uh, organized crime corruption, that sort of thing. We've also got a very strong engineering school. So that sort of cluster of engineers, computer scientists, cybersecurity specialists, that's the typical 
not exclusively, but that, that's a very common profile for our students. And as Beth said, they, they have that sort of interest both in in service to the American people, but also specifically, I think, and, and this is where we touch on the grand challenge, but also in those those challenges that you only really get to work on in this interesting sort of government R&D space like, uh, like unmanned aerial systems. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty, a pretty similar sort of um, experience for them. Beth, I want to ask you now about this relationship between your university and the Center of Excellence. What, what does that look like? Uh, how closely tied together is a Center of Excellence to a university? And how do they commonly work together? In the case of the Maritime Security Center, Stevens Institute of Technology serves as our lead university. So as we mentioned earlier, we're located in Hoboken, New Jersey. We're centrally, you know, conveniently located just opposite of New York City. Um, Stevens Institute provides the physical location and institutional resources that form the foundation for the center. We leverage uh, Stevens Institute research uh, labs and facilities, subject matter expertise, the research faculty, and the academic degree programs that are, are fully accredited. So we take advantage and leverage all of that, as we do with our other academic partner institutions. So Stevens serves as the lead. We have several other academic partners throughout the country. Additionally, in terms of uh, technology development, uh, Stevens provides the necessary administrative resources to support patents and licenses and commercialization of our technologies through the center. Andrea, are we describing the relationship between your COE and the University of Illinois? Absolutely correct. We're part of the university. Our university is the lead for many other universities, including like New York University, um, USC. They all work in concert with us. And then uh, we're housed at the university. Um, we use the university resources, same way as Beth and Stu has described. Stu, when you talk about this relationship, when you talk about the things that the university and a consortium need to demonstrate to become a center of excellence. Can you kind of walk us through what it takes to become a DHS center of excellence? I'm sure it's a little bit more than just raising your hand and saying, um, pick me, uh, yeah, I department. wish. Put me in the game, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. It's it's. You're right. It's very competitive, and uh, you know, DHS announces the competition. You've got to put together a really strong proposal. So, you know, I, w I wasn't part of the process that led to George Mason University getting this award, but I, I would guess that you know one of the reasons we were successful in this case was that you know we had extremely good researchers, both from Mason and as as you all said, you know, throughout throughout our consortium of universities who signed on for the proposal. Mason Mason also has, you know, talking about the relationship between universities and the centers, Mason has a very strong record of managing federal grants. And I think they probably look for that, those, those patterns of good uh, governance in deciding who's going to host a center. And then, you know, it's institutional capacities of the sort that we've talked about. You know, George Mason has a fantastic engineering school uh, and uh, we're very strong in computer science, cybersecurity, criminology, and a lot of these related areas. So there was a, a really good backdrop, I think, of expertise at the university. And 
you know, my, my colleagues must have made a, a very professional pitch to DHS when they did their site visit and convinced them that um, that, that we do a good job of it. And I, I don't know whether our position, uh, you know, in, in Cena's case, close to DC was was an instrumental factor, but it's it's certainly been very good, um, you know, in, in hosting events like the summit. Also, you know, Ken, if you and I want to talk over UAS, I can hop on the train and we can get a cup of coffee. So it's, it's certainly handy being in the region. Certainly. It takes an institution, but it also takes people to put together a center of excellence. And one of the things, Beth and Stu and Andrea, that you have just really impressed me with is your passion for what you're doing. It's rare you come across academics with that kind of passion. Stu, I'm just wondering, what keeps you going every day? What makes you get up and say, I got to report to the COE and I have got to move this program forward. What's yeah. that what's that spark you got? <laughs> well, it's a cluster of them. I mean, the that that responsibility of of uh, re- reporting to the feds is certainly, you know, it's it's a welcome but also Long arm very, the law. Yeah, it's a motivating uh, type of oversight. But to be perfectly honest, I mean, uh, in terms of the summit event, obviously working with Beth and Andrea and the extraordinary team we had, I mean, that you you can't, you can't look anywhere on that committee without finding sort of leadership and commitment to the student experience. But but also just internal to our center, I mean, a, a lot of the stakeholders we work with in the U.S. federal government, they're, they're working on these issues like national security, counterterrorism, cybercrime, human trafficking, child exploitation. And the, the notion that you know our, our leadership team can move the needle even a little bit on some of those issues makes us all jump out of bed in the morning. I mean, we love coming to work. We love uh, supporting these teams. And it's a very uh, it's a very energizing space to be working in. Andrea, I have experienced winter in Champaign-Urbana. <laughs> you have. <laughs> and I want to know, when that wind is blowing at 100 miles an hour and the snow is sideways, what gets you through the door and do that every day? It's got to be more than just the hope that spring is going to be coming for a month or two. Oh my goodness. The winter is coming. Um, I, I have yeah. to say, winter is I, coming. I, I have to agree with Stu and add the word impact. The fact that we have an impact on things that affect our nation is a huge motivating factor. Some of the projects we're working on in workforce development and cybersecurity are, you know, and that are growing and will have an impact are, are certainly what get me going through the door. Beth, you're up in Hoboken. Certainly you have the nor'easters to worry about and not feet of snow. What what gets you into the Maritime Security Center day after day? Andrea and Stu sum it up beautifully. But I have to say the, the aspects of my job that have been the most rewarding working with the Centers of Excellence are the engagements with our students. You know, seeing how absolutely innovative creative they are. You know, they come into our summer research programs and they know very little, if anything, about homeland security. And over the course of eight, 10 weeks, you see these students morph into these just remarkable, young, aspiring engineers and scientists that are just so passionate about the things that they do. And so it really is, uh, for me, the student engagement. Uh, My colleagues are all deeply passionate about the research that they do. Seeing our students 
go through academic programs and then see them enter careers in the field. And one of the most rewarding things for us is we might meet a student coming in as a freshman or a sophomore, and just a few short years down the road, we're literally sitting in meetings with them, and they are the test engineers. They are the operational analysts that we start interfacing with on a professional level. So it goes beyond the academic uh, relationship, and then they become peers and colleagues in the field. And that is just tremendously rewarding. Which leads me to start thinking about this thing where we all met, the DHS Grand Challenge. Really, for me, being a judge, it was a remarkable experience, and I left with a smile on my face, and I said, I need to tell this story. Beth, can you tell us a little bit about what is a Grand Challenge? What was your role in all of this? Sure. So, you know, I had the great honor of working with Andrea and Stu in a whole committee of very dedicated COE education reps to produce educational programs and activities uh, that took place during the C- annual COE summit. And so what we do is we're always trying to, to find new and unique opportunities to showcase our student talent and to also create opportunities for them to network not. Uh, so the grand challenge for us was a, an inaugural event. It's very unique and, and basically our grand challenge Uh, was a Centers of Excellence version of a hackathon. So where a hackathon is typically a competition that involves teams of students or professionals to develop computer code or building computer applications, we wanted to build a multidisciplinary challenge that would essentially bring together students from across the COE enterprise to collectively address a Homeland Security problem. You know, we see every day in our labs and in our classrooms, uh, this remarkable talent. And the Grand Challenge competition gave us an opportunity to pool that talent to achieve greater outcomes and to, to build awareness about student capabilities and their innovative spirit and contribute fresh perspectives to a problem. Stu, with, with that background, can you maybe walk us through what the relationship is between the Grand Challenge and the mission of DHS? I have to think there's got to be a tie-in. Uh, well, yeah, that was the idea. Otherwise, we should all be fired, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I think it actually dovetailed very well. Uh, and Beth touched on some of this, but the, the, the two things that the CON, COE network does really well to support the Homeland Security Enterprise are, on the one hand, research, which we talked about a little bit, and the, and the other is preparing the next generation of the federal workforce. So we really conceived of this as an opportunity to enculturate the students in a challenge that feds face every day or a cluster of challenges. But we also really wanted to um, cultivate uh, like a workforce pipeline. So we, we made sure there were network working opportunities. Uh, these guys had uh, breakfast with some um, some folks in, in DHS. We had them talk to human capital officers. And what we're really trying to do is make sure that these fantastic folks like Will and Emily, who have critical skill sets and they're, they're really good at solving these problems, get uh, an opportunity to, to, to bridge the gap between their studies as they come up to graduation and potential uh, you know service in the U.S. government. Now, for 2019, Stu, you picked the threat posed by UAS systems, so unmanned aircraft systems. 
How did that become part of the COE framework? And how did you decide, okay, this is, this is what we're going to do for 2019? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because we had some some choices. Um, UAS was a good one, or county UAS, as, as we had them um, focus on. So we looked at the the stated, you know, grand challenges that DHS puts out. It affects a number of different agencies, the intel community. It's a defense issue. Of the ones we had on the table, we really felt as though UAS would facilitate the work of, of exactly these interdisciplinary teams that um, Beth's talking about. Because we could have said, you know, um, we want you guys to figure out how to crack cell phones, which is great if you happen to be an engineer working on that stuff. But it, it may be that you come from a discipline where that's really too specialized. So the nice thing about um, countering unmanned aerial systems is it allowed, allowed a lot of flexibility and also a choice of different challenges, right? Because the the developments in in unmanned aerial systems recently mean you've got these drones uh, going longer distances away from their operators. They can carry an increasing payload, uh, and you know you're absolutely seeing all all the time folks flying in um, increased payloads of explosives into vulnerable spaces, uh, targeting you know individuals through assassination or groups. Uh, in acts of mass violence, you've got folks moving um, drugs across the border. These are very real emergent challenges that need innovation. But there's also enough of a spread of them that we felt that these these teams of students from dis- disparate backgrounds and disciplines would have no trouble finding a particular space within that that they uh, that they wanted to work on. So we uh, we let them loose, and the and the results, as you guys saw, were just fantastic. Andrea, how does a COE go about? choosing the students that are going to participate in in these grand challenges? Well, as a committee, we um, kind of figured out the best way to go about it. As a COE, um, it just kind of depended on what students you had available. We either solicited students that were already research students or nominated students um, from our COE. Some of the students were already students that were conducting research as a year-long program, Other students were also either summer interns. In our case, we used our um, DHS summer research team who were here for the summer visiting and the timing worked out well and it was a really good opportunity for them. So that's that's how we determined which students would be on the team. And speaking of students, we have Will Case and Emily Belk with us. And I want to transition this conversation to understanding their experience. Will, I want to start with you, and and I'm just wondering, what are you studying, and how does that um, relationship you have with the Center of Excellence promote what you're studying? Um, well, I'm st- I'm currently studying computer science and cybersecurity, and that relation, um, what I'm studying, is promoted um, through my Center of Excellence, which is the Coastal Resilience Center. That's promoted in the the projects that I take on. So for instance, during last, uh, I believe it was uh, last summer, this past summer, we worked on a project that incorporated a lot of data mining techniques. So we used the program, we were able to um, find some data online, compile it, clean it, and then use data mining program to find some insights and things there that would normally not be seen. And then it was under sort of the directive or the direction of the Coastal Resilience Center because it surrounded tornadoes in uh, coastal states. So it was the study of building tornado resilient communities 
within these coastal states along the East Coast. Emily, you're up in Boston at the Alert Center, uh, a place that I know very well. What about you? What what are the, the challenges that you're looking at um, up at the Alert Center in your academic and soon-to-be professional mm-hmm. So I'm studying computer engineering and computer science. And um, at Alert, we are focused on creating a new technology that will help make airport security more efficient. And so this involves, like, we have an entire system for scanning a body using millimeter wave technology um, and a lot of RF techniques to sort of get images and then sort of detect these like explosives. If someone had an explosive on them, then we can see it. And so for me in the lab, um, I work very closely with Professor Rappaport and I focus on creating programs that help create clear images that we can make sure that we can see when it's a dielectric versus if it was like a piece of metal on someone's body. And that's how I'm tied in with Alert. Okay, I I just have to step back and ask you one question. What is a dielectric? Like an explosive. um, Oh, okay. Sort of thing. Yes, yes. Very bad. No, no, (laughs) no. I I mean, I I wanted to know what that was. So, so Emily, let me ask you. You're, You're studying dielectrics. You're looking at body scanning for airport security. And someone comes up to you and says, hey, Emily, we've got this thing called the Grand Challenge that we would like you to be part of. When you start scratching your head, thinking about how to respond to that, what are you thinking and and what attracted you to the Grand Challenge? Yeah, so my professor um, suggested me to be a part of it. And it honestly seemed kind of overwhelming at first because I was like, I don't really know anything about drones. Um, I don't know about their technologies. And I really hadn't thought about that as a um, threat to the airspace because we weren't really like my lab is focused on um, completely different things. But the more I looked into it, I was like, you know, this is a huge problem. And um, I really wanted to be a part of something that we could brainstorm solutions and use like, it just seemed like a really cool thing, like get to go to DC, meet a bunch of students who are also involved in other groups and then um, come together and hopefully come up with a solution to this problem. Well, you hear about the Grand Challenge and you're in the cyber world and someone says, hey, we want you to help plan how we defend ourselves against these things that are flying around our head like gnats. You think and you say when you're presented with that. Um, I think I was really, uh, I think you'd have to credit my faculty mentor, Dr. Amin, for strongly suggesting and <laughs> in the, uh, constantly following up on the um, grand challenge and suggesting that it would be a great opportunity uh, and something that I really would get a lot from. And in hindsight, I, I'm definitely thankful I did it. But on the out on the outside looking in, if you just look at sort of the scope of things, you might be a little overwhelmed. But you know, I've been around the block long enough to know that you just take it one step at a time and not think too deeply into it and do your best. I really was impressed with all of the ideas that we saw from the teams that presented. And one of the things that I think I walked away with that gave me the biggest smile was each of the teams involved really presented some valuable nuggets of thought that I have not heard to date. 
just my hats off to, to every team member for the ideas they presented. What I want to do, though, is, Emily, you were part of a, a bigger team that attempted to tackle defending critical infrastructure from UAS. And I'm wondering, can you share with us who all was on this team, where they came from, and tell us about the solution that you offered um, as part of the Grand Challenge competition? My team included me, um, Tristan Goers from University of Alaska Anchorage, Kashav Kasachinula University of, from the University of Houston, um, he was a grad student as well, and Trinity Reed from Southern University and A&M College, and then Emiliana Ruiz, who is from University of Texas at El Paso. And our solution that we came up with was a essentially a database of information about all of the drones in the U.S. airspace. So we would propose tracking these drones and storing their like flight history, user history, and essentially using this information to make um, an educated guess about their level of potential threat in the U.S. airspace, and then taking further steps if they were a perceived threat to sort of mitigate that threat um, and what could be done to determine what that threat was and how we could um, make sure that it was no longer a problem. Thanks, Emily. Will, tell us a little bit about your teammates and your proposed solution. Sure. There were four other members of my team. Uh, the first was Holly. He is a PhD student of the University of Texas. Next, there was Annette Marcado, a master's student at the University of Puerto Rico. I believe that she's going on to pursue uh, her PhD now. There was Daniel Dobbs. She's an undergraduate student at the New York Maritime College. And then Jin Lee. He's a geoinformatics student who graduated from George Mason University. For our project, it just really reflected sort of our diverse backgrounds and very different like skill sets. For instance, Annette in particular was a chemistry major and she did um, a lot of the like core technology in regards to our laser, which I'm going to talk about right now, was from her from from her school. You can think of our project as having three major parts, right? And the scenario is illicit substances coming across the southern border via unidentified UAVs. So that's unmanned aerial vehicles or a drone. And the three parts is we're going to use uh, it's. It's going to be comprised of detection and identification. And once we detect and identify, we escalate to um, the proper agencies. But the three parts is uh, ground-based radar to detect low-flying drones. Second part is interceptor drones that once the radar detects the drones, they go in to intercept the unidentified drones. And then the third part, the really the linchpin, is the drones are mounted with a quantum cascade laser. Uh, it's a, a what? <laughs> it's a quantum cascade laser. Okay. It's a hydrospectral hydra laser that's mounted on the drone. So essentially what this um, laser does is it sends a beam that irradiates the substance that the drone is carrying, takes a picture... And then based on that picture, the water vapor from the irradiated substance, it's able to actually identify what the drone is carrying. So it could be anything from uh, illicit drug to a high energetic, which is an explosive. And um, 
like I said earlier, this is from Annette. Annette's um, work at the University of Puerto Rico. So that's just one example of how our diverse background sort of led to like this overall idea. So that's the quantum, the quantum cascade laser. And then just overall, I thought um, for our presentation that we just wanted to create a narrative or a scenario of sort of like the real world consequences of um, unidentified aerial vehicles taking illicit substances across our southern border. So we pulled out a scenario from a news article, and then we tied it back into our ongoing opioid epidemic that just really grounded it and sort of articulated the human element of what our um, idea was trying to address and how it affected the people on the ground, per se. So let me tell you how what both of your stories have affected me. As I am sitting at George Mason University, listening to these incredibly complex ideas involving some cutting edge technology that Will's team and Emily's team and the other teams presented, I thought, I wonder how many months it took for these teams to put these ideas together. Because I want the audience to know that these ideas were remarkably woven together and remarkably well presented to, to where I thought months and months and months and months and work. Yet I come to find out that within the course of 36 hours, you had to assemble a team of people who really hadn't worked together and done research together. You had to figure out how to communicate. You had to figure out how you were gonna integrate all these ideas together Emily, what did you think when you suddenly found out that you had 36 hours to work on solving a problem that thousands of people are spending millions of dollars looking at? I really thought um, like, wow, we do not have a lot of time because um, <laughs> you have to, like we all got together um, and it was five of us and none of us had ever spoken to anyone on the team before. And so we just kind of knew like general information, like what their majors were. Um, and so we really had to introduce ourselves and then talk kind of about what problem that drones impose on the US airspace, what problem do we want to solve? And then how do we actually solve that problem? It was really quiet in the room at first, and <laughs> everyone was kind of nervous. And then we finally started talking about, you know, like, um, what do we do research in and how could that um, affect our solution? And it very quickly started snowballing into this, like, uh, bouncing off of ideas and building it based off of what we know. And um, Tristan, he works in data science, and so he sort of... Um, like we had proposed the idea for, you know, detecting the threats and um, sort of what do we do with that information? He was like, we should make a database with it. And then we started incorporating like more fun ideas. Like we had our like uh, apes pre-check, which was similar to the TSA pre-check um, where we could like work with companies. And um, it just really was um, a very fast paced, but also very rewarding um, environment because we had to think on our feet and really continue evolving the solution until we were happy with it. In terms of dynamics, did everybody agree on the same idea or was it kind of like being in a jury room? Some people thought that this idea was better than that idea or what was this just 
through the process of collaboration, you know, baked into the one idea? I think it for our team was more baked into that one idea because, um, I mean, essentially, like people had different ideas, but then we kind of started to think about how can we incorporate all of them and how can we incorporate everyone's area of expertise. And it really, for us, like built on each other rather than it being like more of a debate between ideas. We thought about incorporating all of them together. And that's how we came up with our final solution. And was there any idea that you said as a team? boy, this is really cool. And if only we had another four weeks to think about this, we could have something even better than what we're about to present. I think that we all really loved our idea. We were very excited about it. Um, Beth was our mentor. And I think that she can (laughs) tell you that we were we were very, very excited about our idea. And I think that given more time, we would have wanted to maybe actually Um, draft a real implementation of it and maybe take our idea like farther. But I don't think that there was necessarily another idea that sort of sparked our interest, but we felt like was out of our reach. Well, I have to tell you on a a personal note, I thought that pre-check for UAS systems, uh, your team invented is an absolutely formidable and stunning idea. So I hope that there's more work put in that. So DHS, if you're listening, great idea from this team. Well, let me, let me go back to you a little bit because you have this team that is literally literally about as geographically diverse as, as one can imagine. And you also had those 36 hours. What was the room like when you all sat in the room, looked at one another and said, we have 36 hours to justify the reason that our COE sent us to the grand challenge? I would say for maybe the first two hours, it was a little a little tense because we all understood the scope of the project and the amount of time we had. So in a way, we were a little overwhelmed, but we were all really smart, right? Um, well, I'd say my team was really smart. I feel like I'm, I'm I was just okay, but no, you you all are really yeah, smart. My, <laughs> okay, let's just leave it yeah, at that. My, my team was brilliant. And um, and I had faith that we would be able to pull something out. But what we had to do is work on our team chemistry and sort of synergy and sort of being in a team with like just about everyone except for Daniel and I being um, we're we're, uh, we're graduate students and well off into like their career. It was a little intimidating, but in a team, you have to find your role and what. I did have a good deal of experience from with um, being a part of student government and different activities in the past was that I understood um, leadership a bit and I understood team chemistry and most importantly, I understood personalities. So what we did, what I did at the beginning was I identified using the um, true color system that we were all personality, we all had a green personality and green means highly analytical and um, we look at all the details. So there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem when you put greens in a room together is that we will say the same thing in different ways, but it will sound like we're arguing with each other. <laughs> okay. This is, a, this is a very important insight that yeah, you're so telling that us. Once, I was, once we were able to let the team know that, listen, we're saying the same things in different ways, 
And it sounds like we're arguing, but we're not. We were able to understand each other better. We were like a little um, more welcoming. I think the just the entire feel and environment in the room changed. And I, I'd say we became really uh, good partners and then later on good friends because we still have a group chat going and we're still close and it was definitely one of the best team dynamics I have ever been a part of you know and it made me appreciate sort of this interdisciplinary kind of approach to um, solving problems which I was really thankful that the um, planning committee or the planning team was able to have the foresight to see and sort of put us together that way. I just want to focus just for a minute or two on the laser technology in the plan that you presented. I do think there's some very interesting uses of that laser. So can you maybe just tell us a little bit more about how the laser fits in? And then was that a universally accepted idea among your team? Somebody say, oh, that's too cutting edge. I mean, come on, we're, we're, we're talking about Star Trek here. Or was there a reality check and people said, hey, you know what? We can do this. I think when Annette told us what the quantum cascade laser was and how it worked, you know, it was able to identify um, substances. Immediately, we agreed this was in here. We just need to put everything else around it. So that was sort of the feeling in the room. And... So it was cutting edge in a sense that I've never heard of a, about it before, but there's a lot of research behind it and um, the lab work and that was doing. So it was in a way a proven technology and something that could be done. And then the other parts came about just from thinking of it in a holistic way and in the environment or the narrative that we're focused on, because there are several ways you can think about approaching um, the UAVs, the unidentified UAVs, but we stuck to just uh, like border regions and how you'd address the UAVs coming through a border. And that's when we came up with having the radars, the ground-based radars that can essentially detect low-flying um, UAVs, because the problem is, is that traditional radar can't pick up something flying maybe 20 feet off the ground. And what our people on um, the ground on the border are left with is just really human intelligence and being able to physically see something coming over the border. And I think that's not ultimately the best way going forward if, you know, this technology is increasingly used in that way. That's where the idea of the radar came in and why we thought it was integral. And then using the, um, the interceptor drones carrying the quantum lasers, just Something that um, after a series of bouncing ideas off each other, and that's what what we really ended up with. That's how we came to that. One of the things that I found really so remarkable about what your team put together was the modularity that was built into the concept. You did not need a quantum cascade laser to have a system. You did not need to have the interceptors to have that system because while each contributed a part to the whole, each of which seemed to and appeared to be fault tolerant. Remarkable. DHS, if you are listening to me, please. Three words, quantum cascade laser. Okay. Uh, remarkable job what, Will, what you and your, your team have done. 
both teams, all of the teams, incredible job. We are coming very close to the end of our show. And I want to start maybe just wrapping things up and tying threads together. Emily, I want to know from you, five years from now, if I call you up and say, I want you to be on the podcast, Emily, what do you think you're going to be doing? I wish I knew. (laughs) Um, I am fair enough. (laughs) I'm only in my second year um, and I'm about to go on my first co-op in the spring. um, So I've been interviewing for that, but I have not yet ironed out really exactly what I want to be doing. Um, And so that is something that I hope to figure out more of. Like I know I'm interested in the embedded systems, the software side of things. um, And definitely security is interesting to me, but I'm just not sure like where I'm going to be. (laughs) Well, I am certain wherever that path leads you, you're going to be successful. Really, thank you for all the contributions to the grand challenge. Thank you to the DHS for having me. It was an amazing time. Will, over to you. Hop into the time machine with me. Let's wake up in five years. What are you doing? What is going to be the subject of your research and professional career, do you think? It's hard to pinpoint at this time, but I can say it will include software development and data science and probably, well, definitely something innovative. I'd I'd say that because I'd like to think of things holistically and how they connect to things from the past and really inform um, ideas or things we come up with in the future. So if I had to pinpoint, I'd say software development, data science, and something a little outside of the box. Well, I can't wait to see what you do. And just hearing your approach to how you work together and how you put teams together and, and how you leverage personalities All I can say is I can't wait until the day that I'm on a team with you and sharing the thought experience and sharing the creative experience with you. Thank you for everything. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for the DHS and the Centers of Excellence. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Beth, Stu, and Andrea, I've got a closing question for each of the three of you. And you are not immune from Ken's time machine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Beth, you wake up in five years and you look around your center of excellence. What do you want it to look like? What do you want to achieve that you haven't? What do you want to achieve that you dream about? That's a great question. And just this year, uh, we put into place a new work plan to initiate some new educational programs uh, that we're going to be piloting in the spring and summer. So uh, these programs involve the outplacement of our students in field-based internships with our stakeholders. Basically, what we're doing is we're recruiting from within our summer research program network to find candidates, and then we're going to fund and outplace them to work directly with our um, with our stakeholders. So, so continuing to develop programs, uh, further embedding students within the homeland security enterprise. Yeah, that's where I see you know the direction we'll be going: more career placement, more. Um, evolution of our educational program delivery. 
I can't wait to see that happen. And thank you for everything you've done on behalf of myself and, and I hope all the other judges um, with the DHS yeah, Grand Challenge. Thanks so much, Kenneth. Thanks so, so much for this great opportunity uh, for showcasing our Office of University Programs um, Center of Excellences. Stu, I wake up in beautiful Northern Virginia, again in five years because that's the time frame I'm choosing. And I walk through that wonderful campus you have I look for the COE. What's it going to look like in five years? Well, it's, it's going to have a lot more marble and statues, I think. But uh, in terms of its uh, inner workings, um, we're, we're a pretty young center. So in, in five years' time, we're going to have transitioned some of these uh, software and algorithmically uh, uh, rooted tools. And we're going to be seeing the the impact of some of those either as commercial products or as uh, just implemented systems within DHS. And we're going to have some pretty good metrics on the, um, on the impact those things have had. So that's the exciting thing about the next uh, stage for us. Um, we're also going to have uh, expanded our uh, student programs. We'll have our senior minor in place. So students will actually be taking four courses in, in home and security critical areas. We'll expand our internship program. So it's actually a very exciting, forward-looking time. We, we ask ourselves these, these questions all the time, and uh, it's, there's a lot to look forward to. Well, that's going to be a great journey. I'm literally your next door neighbor practically. So that's right. I'll be watching you and checking in from time to time. And hopefully you and I will talk more about UAS systems. But really, thank you. Thank you for your contributions to the Grand Challenge. And really, all these have made a, a huge difference and opened up my eyes. And finally, Andrea, over to you for the final word. Except my time machine now is 10 years out. What, what does that cutting edge future look like over at the University of Illinois and the Center of Excellence? Well, our Center of Excellence focus is more on cybersecurity. So I'm hoping, one, that we can create tools that can help um, our nation with um, the cybersecurity issues that we're having. But most importantly, and more of my focus is on um, workforce development and as I think I mentioned earlier, there's a huge um, workforce gap in cybersecurity. And I'm hoping that the work that we're doing can create a nationwide impact on that gap. And hopefully we can, we can fill some of those jobs. Andrea, that is so critical. I'm very passionate about getting the next generation involved with Homeland Security. Thank you so much for dedicating your career to this. The amazing talent that was on display at the Grand Challenge really put a smile on my face because I know that the future of Homeland Security is going to be in good hands. So Beth, Stu, Andrea, Will, Emily, thank you for everything you've done. Congratulations with your accomplishments to date. And I can't wait to see the next great thing from you all. Thank you for joining us on Thinking Through Autonomy. Thanks so much. Thanks for Ken. having us, Kim. Thank you. 